the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, last Tuesday the Steelers sent a fifth-round draft pick to Seattle for tight end Nick Vanette. How would you describe him as a player? You know, he's got a, he's got a well-rounded game. Uh, he's above the line in the run game and in the passing game. A lot of tight ends in today's game are either blockers or pass catchers. He's one of those dual guys. We evaluated him when he came out of Ohio State. We like that aspect of his game. And so it's going to provide a lot of versatility for us in terms of the ways we can utilize him. Last week uh, in, in this show, we were talking about uh, getting Minka Fitzpatrick ready to play quickly because he was the guy you had just acquired uh, in a trade. Is it similar for a tight end? Is offense different than defense in that respect? It's a similar process in that this week, you don't try to get too much done. You tell them what it is they need to know. You teach them assignments. Um, what we're doing with Minka as we double back and get into week two with him is teaching him concepts and global things that we're trying to get done per call. Uh, and so he can better understand how what it is he does fits in the bigger picture. But when you're working on a short period of time, you got to get guys lined up. you got to teach them what to do and leave it at that. And that's what we're doing with Nick this week. Uh, Minka, last week you said you were going to anchor him at free safety partly because of what we were just talking about. Is that going to be a similar uh, role for him tonight? No, you'll see him evolving now. Um, by concept, he'll play free some. He'll play strong some. Uh, we got to have versatility at the safety position in today's game. They got to be able to blitz. They got to be able to play the run. They got to be able to cover in the slot. Uh, they got to be able to play center field and half field. Um, one of the reasons why we're really excited about this tandem that we have back here now is both guys are capable of those things, and it re- really gives us some good flexibility. Getting back to the tight ends, just generally speaking in, in football, why are tight ends important to the offense's ability to run the football? The end of the line. A lot of combat goes on at the end of the line. The the the, the war that's waged there. Um, your pull schemes when you get on the perimeter. If a tight end is getting knocked back, pullers can't get around. Um, the defensive end tight end matchup is a critical element of run rundown football. It'll be a critical element of rundown football in this game when they got animals like Carlos Dunlap over there. Um, that's why you need big bodied tight ends. That's why we always, you know, will have some guys with some bigger stature to to match up with some of those four three ends. It's a very different matchup when you're blocking a three four outside linebacker who could be 240, 245 as opposed to blocking a 290 pound four three end. So that's why tight ends look a little bit different in today's game. Some are 245 pounds. Some of them are 6'8 and in the 260s like young uh, Zach Gentry that we have here. Um, he's one of those guys who has the stature and the bill uh, to, to match up against four three ends. So then just based on what you just said, what would a tight end give the offense that can't be replaced by just sticking another offensive lineman on the end of that line? The threat of pass the threat of five eligibles in the passing game, particularly in a vertical element of the passing game, uh, you know what you're going to get defensively. Certainly, you, you you gain some advantages in terms of using eligible tackles at the position. We do it. Everybody really kind of does it. But you do it, you know, in a small sampling size because you lose a lot of versatility, particularly in the play-action passing game. Uh, okay, let's talk about passing offense a little bit. You often hear the terms used, isolation routes, combination routes used to describe what the wide receivers are doing. Uh, what do each of those terms mean? Quite quite frankly, isolation routes, you're trying to seek one-on-one matchups, and those are often defined by spread formations with guys spread out with great width 
um, creating opportunities for guys to win one-on-one battles. Uh, the concept element of it is usually uh, done out of bunch or, or combinations, stacks and bunches, groups of two and three, where collectively – through release or route combos, guys work to get themselves open. Um, it's really just about a guy's ability to get himself open by himself or within the framework of, of other routes. Under what conditions might you use one or the other of those two? Things? Usually usually you have components of both within each passing football play. And some receivers have skill set that lend themselves to winning in one-on-one circumstances. Some guys have a skill set that lend itself to working in combination uh, with others. Uh, that backside receiver in today's game, those backside X's, the guys that have, have, have earned their money over the years on the backside of trips, and those are your one-on-one winners. Uh, and usually it's those are the type of guys that, 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 that you're trying to isolate in those one-on-one circumstances. People that play on the strong side of the formation, Zs that play in conjunction with tight ends and and slot receivers, those are the more concept-oriented guys. On offense, when it comes to the utilization of gadget plays, are those something that can be used to jumpstart a struggling offense, or does the offense actually have to have established something where then a gadget play can use because you've got a defense looking for something or flowing some way? Really, it can, it can serve in both capacities and, and usually does. Uh, it, can, it can be a catalyst for offense when, you, you know, when, you, when you're stagnant. Um, it also can be a nice supplement when the offense is going well. And, and usually if they're effective, you're utilizing them in both ways. Uh, okay, Coach, we talked a lot about offense in the first segment, so I'm going to ask you some defensive kinds of things now. Uh, what's a run blitz, and what does it look like? It's usually something that's structurally sound where you're firing linebackers that make the double teams that the offensive line usually employ in the running game happen quicker. And that's what it's about. It's not about the trickery or, or an effort to get someone free like you're trying to do in the blitz game. It's usually to make the offensive blocking combination schemes happen at a different rate than the offense would like for it to occur. And, and, and in its essence, effective run blitzing is, is, is just that. Uh, when that center and that guard are double teaming up to the linebacker and you start firing linebackers, that double team happens a little bit differently. They have to have their eyes up. They have to be aware. It provides opportunity for that D lineman that's being doubled to, to be a player now. Um, and so that's the, that's the essence of it, in my opinion. When you run blitz, um, do the defensive players, do they pick a spot? A lot of times when you blitz to get pressure on the quarterback, you might look for an opening and hit it. Run blitz, is that an assigned you hit this gap? Absolutely. It's assigned gaps or space uh, in the very same ways that the, the, the pass concepts are. How are those gaps picked? It's by structure of defense, um, and, and, and that's probably the best football one-on-one way of explaining it. Um, the gaps that are hit is based on the structure of the defense and, and, and the naming of the particular blitzes, and usually it's done to supplement or complement some base defensive structure. What players are utilized by the defense on run blitzes? Is it always linebackers? Or secondary men. You know, we brought Minka quite a bit uh, last week. We brought Edmund some off the edge. Uh, usually it's linebackers and safeties, but, you know, from time to time you'll see corners in the run game uh, as blitzes as well. Cincinnati Bengals will bring that boundary corner quite a bit to minimize some boundary run. You might see that uh, in the game uh, this week uh, with the boundary corner. When the ball is on the hash, if that boundary corner is in bump 
on first and second down for the Bengals, man, there's a potential that he could be in a in a in a dog charge. When the defense is in man to man coverage and the offense has receivers run crossing routes, what are the defensive backs supposed to do in that situation? Quite simply, stay with their man. So they're you just chase them. Uh, you chase them, but it's some very technical ways in which you chase. Um, we we defend on different levels depending on who people are, who we are, and who we are covering. And that's the first mode of keeping people clean as they track their guys. Some people are pursuing at or around the line of scrimmage. Some are pursuing at linebacker depth. Some are pursuing a little bit deeper than linebacker depth. And those depths of, of coverage allow you to keep lanes, if you will, as, you, as you're crossing traffic to track your people. Another means of doing it is to do what – what generally is referred to as jet stream, meaning run in the wake of the guy that you're covering. And as he looks to track the ball, you're able to close the distance and make the ground up because, quite frankly, people slow down when they look to track the ball. So those are the two primary means of staying clean and tracking your people in man-to-man. Most defenses at all levels of football play levels of defense and have people moving in prescribed planes. And another element of it is you can always fall in directly behind the guy that you're covering. And when he tracks the ball, it gives you an opportunity to close the distance and be in position to make the play once the ball gets there. Tonight's opponent, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, The Bengals come here into the game ranked last in the NFL in rushing yards per game and also last in the NFL in rushing average. Uh, in a case like this where one phase of the opponent's game has been ineffective uh, during preparation, do you still expect them uh, to run the football and prepare accordingly, or do you allocate more time to working on what has been working for them, which is the, has been their passing game? You have to assume that they're working diligently on improving their run game, and we pay respect for that through our preparation. Uh, we're not assuming anything relative to their run game based on their present circumstance. We know that they're going to have a desire to run the ball, and they got a quality back in Joe Mixon. they got another quality back in Gio Bernard. Um, we're doing our due diligence being prepared for that, and uh, we have no control over what, what it is they call, but we better be prepared to minimize their run game. More importantly than all of that, this can't be the week that they get right in that regard. And so that's our approach. Uh, you've never gone against a, a Bengals team that was not coached by Marvin Lewis until tonight. Uh, how's this group different? You know, I think we're going to discover that um, over the course of our interactions with the coach Taylor Bunch. I see some different things schematically um, on offense and defense. Uh, a lot of carryover from special teams. The coordinator in that area remains the same. Uh, but I think time will tell, particularly um, – as they find their footing and they get a, a sense of the division of labor and he gets a sense of who he's working with in, in all the phases, I think we'll have a better understanding of the significant differences of what the two regimes look like or, or how they differ uh, as the season goes on and particularly the longer he's there.